so a couple days ago, I was in the grocery store, and I saw a sight which many of you have probably seen before. There was a woman who was walking up and down the aisles doing her shopping, and she had three children with her. And as she was going along, all three of them were screaming. One of them was tugging on her, going, Mom, Mom, Jack just hit me. And the next one was tapping on her, going, Mom, Mom, can I get Fruit Loops? Please let me get Fruit Loops. And then there was a young girl about 10 behind her who was like, Mom, Mom, can I please get lip gloss? Everybody in school has lip gloss. You're the only mom that will not let me have lip gloss. It's so unfair. And then the girl stopped. Mom, she screamed really loudly, are you even listening to me? Well, the mother just kept right on walking. It was like she never broke her stride. She just kept on shopping. And most people can't even fathom, how could she do that? How could she just ignore her kids like that? I mean, the noise was driving me crazy. I was about ready to stand up and go, shut up, be quiet. How can she just pretend that she doesn't hear this? Well, she can pretend that she doesn't hear this because she doesn't hear this. This is a well-known phenomenon known as selective deafness. Those of you who are married, well, you might recognize this phenomenon. <laughs> In my home, I can tell Mike something very, very important, only to have him stare blankly at me two days later when he is suddenly taken unaware by this very important information that I told him two days ago. See, selective deafness, it's a mechanism we use to protect ourselves from those things which are annoying or unimportant at the moment or too stressful to deal with. Selective deafness and its annoying twin, selective blindness, are particularly useful tools, though, especially when we look around our world today with all of its problems, because the fact of the matter is if we see it, if we don't see it, and we don't hear it, then we don't have to deal with it. We can just keep doing what we're doing. It's easier, you see. So our text for today is a prime example of the benefits of selective deafness and blindness. It's a cautionary tale, really, for those of us who wish to continue being comfortable in our lives, who can, would like to continue having an easier life. It's known as the call of Moses or Moses and the burning bush, and it marks the beginning of the story of the Exodus. The story of the Exodus is the defining story for the Israelites or for the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, because this is the story of when God rescued them, delivered them from slavery and oppression in Egypt and brought them to a land of milk and honey. See, at this point, life had become pretty unbearable for the Hebrew people. They had been held in slavery for a long time in Egypt. They had come after a famine and slowly but surely had been made slaves. But not only were they slaves, they were being abused. They were abused slaves. It had gotten so bad that the Egyptians, because they were worried about the Israelites becoming too numerous in population and maybe rebelling, they decided, well, they were going to kill off all the sons that were born. If a baby boy was born, they were going to kill him off. That way, the population would have no fighting men. 
Now, right before our text starts today, it says that God, that the Israelites groaned and cried out in their slavery and in their oppression, and their cry rose up to God. And God heard their cries, it says. God saw the injustice that was being done, and it says God noticed. Now, most of us know the story of Moses. We know that he was hidden in a basket by his mother when he was a baby to save him from being killed and that he was put in the River Nile in this basket and that the daughter of Pharaoh found him and adopted him. He grew up in the royal palace. And how he eventually had to flee from Egypt because he killed an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew slave and he ended up in the desert of Midian. Now, by the time that our text takes place today, Moses is married, he has children, and in fact, he's almost 80 years old. Almost 80 years old. See, in Moses' eyes, most of his life is gone. He's kind of past his prime, he thinks. He really doesn't have much of anything himself. The scripture tells us he's minding the flock of his father-in-law. He doesn't have his own flock. And he's out in the desert, meandering around, watching the flock, and all of a sudden he notices a bush that is burning. Now, if this were a movie, this would be the time we'd all want to stand up and go, Moses, keep walking. Don't look at that bush because your life will get really messy if you do. But Moses did not keep walking. And in fact, he could have, because although we think, okay, well, a burning bush, that's a pretty big deal, it isn't that big of a deal in the southern part of the Sinai Peninsula. You see, there are these little acacia bushes all over the place, sort of spaced out, and they're used by the nomads and the sheep to feed their food that they can eat from them. But because of the low humidity there and the extreme heat, It is not at all uncommon for one of these bushes to just spontaneously combust. They ignite and they burn up and it's done. So the text says that Moses saw a burning bush and he saw that it was not being consumed. Now rabbis love this kind of thing because they say, hmm, this is a conundrum. They sat down and they started thinking about it and talking about it, discussing it, and they finally decided, you know what, let's check and see how long does it take for a bush to burn up in the southern part of the Sinai Peninsula. So they did all kinds of tests and they came back with the number seven minutes. It takes seven minutes on average for a bush to burn up. So ergo, they said, Moses stood and watched this bush for at least seven minutes before noticing that it wasn't burning up. Now, seven minutes is a long time to sit and watch a burning bush. But then not only does he watch this burning bush, he notices that it's not being consumed, and it says that he decides to look at why it's not being consumed. He says, I must turn aside to look at this great sight and see why this bush is not being consumed. And in that one decision to turn aside and step closer, Moses' life was changed forever. Goodbye, sheep. 
goodbye retirement because the text says that when the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside to see, he called out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Now, God could have called out of that bush seven minutes earlier, couldn't he have? But he didn't. He waited till Moses went over to look. And when Moses says, here I am, God says, take off your shoes. You are on holy ground. I'm the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And hey, listen up, Moses. I've heard what's going on down in Egypt, and it's not good. My people are being oppressed, Moses, and it's not right. I have to do something. So I have come down to deliver them. And I'm going to take them to a good land, a land that is overflowing with milk and honey. It's going to be good. It's going to be great because I have heard their cry. I have seen how the Egyptians are abusing them. I've seen the oppression they're under and it's horrible. I got to do something, Moses. So listen up. I want you to go to Pharaoh. And I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Now, this is the place where I imagine Moses kind of doing a double take. Because up until this point, God's telling him all these things, and I imagine Moses is going, yep, yep, those Egyptians are real bad people. Yep, yep, you go, God of my ancestors. Yay, you. I am so glad you were going to do something. And then when God says, I'm going to send you, Moses, I imagine he goes, wait a minute. What? I thought you were going to do something, God. You said you were going to do something. And God says, yep. I am Moses. I choose you to go. Now, at this point, I can imagine that Moses is just about scared to death. Not only is a voice coming out of a burning bush at him, but in reality, he really does not know who this God is. He says it's the God of his ancestors, and so he says, Okay, God, um, I don't think, number one, you know how unsafe it is for me to go back to Egypt. I'm a wanted man. And if you think that the Pharaoh is going to listen to me, you've got it all wrong, God. And God says, hey, it's okay, Moses, because guess what? I'm going to be with you. You are, are you, says Moses. Well, uh, that's great, but... If I go to the Israelites and I tell them that uh, I'm here to rescue them, they're going to say, yeah, right. They're going to look at me like I'm crazy. I mean, I know that you say that you were the God of my ancestors, but really, I don't know who you are. There are a lot of gods out there. What's your name? Who are you, really? And God says, I am who I am. I am the source of all things. You tell them, I am sent you. You tell them, I am is with you. Now Moses continues to argue with God, but he finally says, okay, he will go. And with that, Moses is headed back to Egypt. All because he happened to turn aside and see a burning bush that was not being consumed. 
He's on his way now with the help of God to deliver the Hebrew people from slavery and oppression and lead them to the promised land. I mean, God called Moses out of this burning bush to rescue God's children being oppressed, abused, and held in slavery. But I can't help but wonder. I mean, the Israelites had been enslaved for many years at this point, at least 80 years because it was happening when Moses was born. Why did God decide just now to act? I mean, did God have selective blindness and deafness? Or could it possibly be that no one else bothered to stop to see why a bush was burning and not being consumed? Sure, Moses was a good candidate because, frankly, he could speak Egyptian. But surely he wasn't the only one who could speak the language. And surely there were people with less baggage, younger people, people that might not be wanted by the authorities? Why Moses? Surely God could have called people in other places. But how many people walked by similar signs and kept on going before Moses turned aside to see why the bush was not being consumed? How many people Could some of the suffering of the people have been spared if someone had just stopped and noticed earlier? I think we tend to interpret the story of God calling Moses as something great. Moses was this great one, the only one who could do this job. So God sent this obvious sign in front of him. God made it impossible for Moses to refuse. We see the burning bush like a roadblock like being struck by lightning or hit by a meteor. So we think, well, you know, God hasn't called me because I haven't seen any burning bushes lately or, frankly, never. So I think I'm okay. I think I've dodged that bullet. When the reality is that the burning bush in the Sinai Peninsula is no great sign. It's something that can be easily dismissed unless someone stops to notice, unless someone investigates. So that begs the question, do you ever wonder how many burning bushes you've passed by? See, the truth is, if we want to avoid God's call on our lives, all we have to do is continue with our selective deafness and blindness, right? Don't see, don't hear. Because the subtext of the story of the burning bush is that if we see, if we hear, if we notice, we are called. God will not knock us over the head to get our attention. God is waiting for us to notice. That's the way God works, you see. God doesn't force us into anything. God wants us to choose to follow, to choose to love to choose to hear, to choose to see, because God wants us to care just like God does. So many of us complain about the state of the world. We complain about our lives. Where is God? Why won't God do anything? We complain, but we keep on walking. 
And all the while, God is saying, I've heard the cry of my people. I want to deliver them from their suffering, but I'm waiting for somebody to stop long enough to notice, to see and to hear my voice. I was recently talking with a friend of mine, mine and, excuse me, another pastor about his church, and he was having difficulty with some of his, the people in his congregation. They kept coming in and complaining to him about the lack of mission programming at his church. This last week, one of them got quite heated and started shouting at the pastor. He said, look at this situation with Harvey. He said, people have lost everything. They have nothing. And I want to know, where is everybody? I want to know why no one has organized anything here. What is this church going to do about this? The pastor said he was really taken aback, and he had no answer for a second and he said he had to stop and he had to pray and he said all of a sudden words flowed out of his mouth and he didn't know where they came from and he said I believe you're asking the wrong question the question isn't isn't what is the church going to do about this the question isn't who is going to organize this the real question is what are you going to do about it See, we're confronted with burning bushes daily. Burning bushes outside the church. Every time we see injustice, every time we hear the cries of oppression, every time we notice suffering, the bush is burning. And God is saying, I choose you to deliver my people. But we're also confronted with burning bushes inside the church. Every time we see people hurting, we see programs that need leadership, We hear the weary voices of those who carry the load and we notice the myriad of things that need fixing or we notice what could be done for this community if only someone would do it. Those things that make the church the hands and feet of God in the world, seeing that bush is burning and God is waiting. My friends, today may be the day Today may be the day that we are to stop, that we're to notice, that we're to listen, we're to hear and see. Today may be the day we can hear our name called, and the day we say, here I am, Lord, because the fact is, we noticed. <laughs>